this is a bittersweet moment for some of us that have been around here for a while because can, can I call the So family up? Andrew and Kathy and Caleb, Allison, are you guys here in our midst? Yeah, come on up. So um, Andrew, we'll let him share for just a second where, what they're doing, but they, God's calling them on to the state of Tennessee, and uh, we're going to miss him a lot. Um, Andrew was a real pillar of life in the hill here, the, the forerunner church, the CCPV, and he's been, come on up here, just a great um, servant of the Lord here. Kathy's been homeschooling kids. Little Caleb got baptized just a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, I first met this guy maybe seven years ago. He came up to me after service and said, um, uh, hey, I'd like to be one-on-one -on -one disciple. And I said, sure. And we had three or four just great years together going through the Word of God. So do you want to just share a little bit about where you're going? And we want to lay hands on you and pray for you and your family. Sure. Uh, we're going to uh, Franklin, Tennessee. Um, really going to uh, miss serving with uh, all the faithful men and women at this church. Uh, especially going to miss the, the guys in the men's group. Uh, got to know uh, a lot of them. Uh, just want to encourage you guys to, uh, to stay in the word and uh, let the word of God rule over your hearts and rule over your family as well. And um, you know, even though you might have messed up or you don't feel like you can go to God, just remember um, if you repented from your sins, you can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, uh, you know, act like men and be strong. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. You see why we're going to miss him, and there's some church there in Tennessee that's going to be blessed by this whole family. So we're going to miss, miss all of you. So we want to just, as elders, lay hands on you now and, and pray over you. Daniel, do you want to yeah, lead us I'd in love prayer? To pray. Thanks. Oh, Lord, we just thank you so much for the So family, um, for their place in this church, how they have belonged here, and also how they've become here. I think of how these, uh, these children, how Allison and Caleb have grown up in this church and have loved you, Jesus, and served you. I thank you for um, Kathy and Andrew. I pray for a strengthening in their um, family, in their marriage, and in their uh, new foundations that'll be laid, new roots that'll be set in Tennessee, Lord. And we'll miss them here, Lord, but I'm sure that any time they're passing through, God, they're going to be here uh, visiting with us. And so we love them. We want to send them out with a blessing. We want to send them out uh, being led by your spirit to, um, to really begin this next chapter and season of their life. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you guys. I'll have you stay up here. Awesome. And then, John, come on. So this here is John Esparza. You guys know him, right? Many of you guys know him. So um, we have some exciting news to share. So uh, John Esparza is joining our staff. And yes. Um, and I think we were all uh, so pleasantly surprised um, by the Lord and by him as God called him uh, out of uh, a very successful um, uh, career in entertainment and music, and he's coming here, and he's going to be uh, the director of operations and media, That's and so he's going to be serving the church in a lot of areas. Basically, 
uh, that anything this guy touched, you know, I, I like to say, you know, when we have church, we, we kind of have it at this level, and John takes it to this level. He just is, has a way of, uh, with all the media that we have, if you're watching online, thank this guy. Uh, and um, all of the stage and lights and, and just operations, ministry functions, everything, events, this guy does it all, and he's so gifted, and he's been called by the Lord to come and just serve this church. He, he just wanted to be fully invested in the ministry here. Amen? Amen. Is that, you want to say anything? No, that's it. That's it? That's perfect. All right, perfect. And so we love this man, and we'll lay hands on you and pray for you to commission you into this new role. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for John. God, we thank you for the gifts and the callings that you've given to him. Thank you that they are irrevocable, Lord, and that you have uh, rooted him here in this place. Lord, we love him. We love his family. We love that he has invested so much already into this church, and we just can't wait to see how you're going to use him in this church body, how you're going to lead him to lead us into just greater depths of what you're going to do in this church. I'm so excited to serve you, Lord, alongside this brother, and uh, we can't wait to get started. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Love you, dude. Good. All righty. Good morning, everyone. So I always look forward to Sunday mornings, and especially moments like that where we get to just celebrate and be excited about what God's doing in our midst, but one of the great things we get to do is we get to open God's Word again, and we are going to pick up where we left off in the previous Sunday, so turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, and as you're turning to 2 Peter 1, I want to remind you of where we have been in this epistle. Um, our first Sunday in Second Peter, we learned about our position of faith, and that was in verses 1 through 4, where we heard that great gospel promise. And then last Sunday, we learned about our practice of faith. That was verses 5 through 11. So already in this letter, we have seen our position, that is, who we are in Jesus, and we have seen our practice, that is, what we do for Jesus. And we want to make sure, because... Um, you always have to keep it in that order that our practice is going to come out of our position. You can't cross the wires because if you have practice, then that gives you your position. That's religion. Whereas a position that leads to your practice, that's relationship. And so as you'll remember, we looked at those seven qualities that were listed um, there in verses 5 through 11, these seven qualities that are going to make your faith healthier and stronger as you walk in them. You remember them, they were virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And so the question is, this week, as we've come a full week since last Sunday, did those qualities get added to your faith this week? And I pray that you'd be able to say yes, that perhaps you added a little bit of virtue and you added some more knowledge. Perhaps you had better self-control. You remained steadfast in your faith this week. Um, Are you seeing godliness continuing to develop in your life? Would you be able to say that this week you made every effort to love the people around you and to love God? And, and because if these qualities are yours and they're increasing in your daily practice, then Peter says you will be fruitful 
and effective in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that we all want that, right? We wanna be fruitful for Jesus. We wanna be effective for his kingdom. I think that's why we would all gather again this week. It's because we want to be reminded that to live a godly life in Jesus Christ is the best way that you could live your life. And so we want to be reminded that a life of faith with, with heaven as the prize is the way that we wanna be living our daily life. And so Peter knows that to increase in these qualities is something that we need to be reminded of. And that leads us right into verse 12, this, uh, where we're leading off this Sunday. Verse 12 of first Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1 says, Therefore, in light of what we heard last week, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So again, he wants to see these qualities increasing in our daily practices. And when they do, it's going to sure up our calling and election. It's gonna give us that sense that we really do belong to Jesus because there's gonna be fruitfulness, there's gonna be effectiveness. We're living in the glory and the excellence of Jesus. And look, Peter's not reminding us of these things because he thinks that they don't have faith or that they don't know how to grow in their faith. He's not telling them again about heaven because he thinks that somehow they've forgotten about heaven. He even says there, you know them. You know them and you experience what a growing faith is like and you are established in the truth that you have. So Peter is not questioning their faith. And as I preach today, I'm not questioning your faith. I'm here to say, be strengthened in your faith. Grow in your faith. And sometimes when we get asked those questions, did you grow this week? It's like, well, lay off a little bit. But, but every week we come, we want to say, are we growing? Are, are we self-aware enough? Are we examining ourselves every single day, every single week to say, am I increasing in fruitfulness and effectiveness for my King Jesus? Is heaven becoming a little bit more into focus in my life? And we want to grow in that way. And so Peter's not questioning their faith. He's not saying, I'm not so sure that you really know Jesus. I'm not really sure that you are even really growing. And Peter knows the ups and downs of following Jesus. He knows that it sometimes feels like two steps forward, one step back. We all understand that. But what he's saying to the church, what he's saying to us, the followers of Jesus, is that it is wonderfully beneficial to always be reminded of the good news of the salvation that we have in Jesus. To always be reminded what faith in Jesus should really be looking like. And what I've said before, you've probably heard me say this, is that we never want to come to a point in our Christian life where we've outgrown our need of hearing the gospel. Let me say that again. We never want to outgrow our need of hearing the gospel. We need gospel reminders because it helps us as believers to be fruitful and effective for Jesus. We need gospel reminders because it keeps us strong in our faith. Because, look, we get hit from all sides. And we want to be strong in our faith until we enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what is about to happen for Peter. 
Peter is about to come to the end of his life, and he knows it. He's aware that the time of his departure is soon. Now, whether that was because Peter could sense that he was getting older with age, or he could feel how the fires of persecution were rising up around him, we know that at this time, Caesar Nero was in power, and that is ultimately this rising threat that was coming against the church. So Peter was in a place where he understood that his departure was soon. The time was coming near where he was going to be reunited with his best friend, Jesus. And Peter couldn't wait for that moment, and that's why he writes in verse 13 through 15. He says, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you will be able to, at any time, recall these things. So Peter thinks it's right. Did you see that there at the beginning of verse 13? I think it's right. I think it's a good thing for me to be doing this right now. It's beneficial that he would be reminding believers about faith in Jesus. And Peter was a man who had a nature that was just like ours and with a faith that was like ours. Peter was a man who had become born again by the Holy Spirit, just like anyone who has placed faith in Jesus, believed in his death and resurrection, that so too we have become born again. Peter was like every born-again follower of Jesus, where he was a person that was living in a body of flesh but had become a partaker of the divine nature that God's spirit was now dwelling in him. He was a man who was living on this earth in a body, but awaiting with a longing expectation and hope of the resurrection that was to come. Is that what you're like? Are you somebody who, yes, has a body, who lives your days here on earth, and yet you are keenly aware that there is also the spirit of God dwelling in you? And his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And there's this groaning even within you where you have this expectation with hope for what is to come, that there's something better coming. Peter knew that his body would be put off soon and that he would be putting on a new resurrected body like he had seen Jesus do. He was also told by Jesus in John chapter 21 how he was going to die. This was right after Jesus had restored Peter after his denial. You know, he was asking him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he said, feed my sheep, tend my flock. And and this is right after that, Jesus says to Peter how Peter was going to die in John 21 verses 18 through 19. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Could you imagine that? You know, you'd walk with this man, Jesus, for three years. You watched as he was crucified. You denied him. I don't even know the man. And then you were hiding back in fear. 
wondering what was going to happen to you. And then the women come, and the news is there. Jesus is alive. And Peter runs to the tomb. He finds the tomb empty. And then Jesus appears to Peter and the rest of the apostles. And in that room, he breathes the Holy Spirit and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, Peter was born again. And he watched as Jesus ascended back to heaven to the right hand of the Father and how he was told that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon the church. And then that happened on the day of Pentecost. And then Peter got there and preached that sermon where 3,000 people were saved on the first day. I mean, this is Peter who, who understood, here I was, um, completely following Jesus, thinking at least I was. And then I denied him, but Jesus said, follow me. He recommissioned him there. And, and then Peter followed him and had been following him all those days of his life, yet always remembering, I will never outgrow my need for hearing the gospel. I can never forget those events that took place in the life and the ministry of Jesus. I can't forget how I watched from a distance as he was beaten and scourged. I can't forget how the nails were driven through his hands and his feet. I can't forget how I saw those holes after he had been raised and I saw the other disciple Thomas touch them. He couldn't forget these events. They had completely shaped the core of who this man was. And he would live his life here on earth in faith. But that faith was coming to an end. Faith ultimately is only needed when you cannot see what you believe in. And he knew he was going to see Jesus again, that he was going to heaven. And so he refers to his death as my departure and the putting off of my body. I love the word there for body in the Greek. It's the idea of a tent. And a tent is a temporary dwelling place any of you guys like camping. You know, it's something that a sojourner would dwell in. It's, a tent is not like an actual home because a tent's not meant to be permanent. And so a tent um, wears out more easily than, say, a house built of maybe wood and stone, right? Paul essentially says the same thing about his life living in this body. In 2 Corinthians 5.1, he says, For we know that if our earthly tent or earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Love that. And look, I, I used to have a tent trailer that our family used to go camping in. I actually got this tent trailer off of Craigslist Free, which will probably tell you a little bit about the condition <laughs> that this tent trailer was in. Um, so we had a lot of great trips in that tent trailer. We'd take it camping every once in a while. But every time we used this tent, it would it just break down a little bit more. There was just something else that would not work. Eventually, there was one side of the tent trailer. You know, you crank it up, and it's supposed to just raise up, but only three sides would be raised, so you had to get in the back corner and lift it, and then I cut a wood dowel that would prop it up and just prayed that it wouldn't collapse while we were all sleeping. <laughs> and, and then when we moved here uh, from Santa Barbara down here, we, we didn't bring the tent trailer with us. My wife's like, you're not bringing that thing with us. <laughs> there wasn't anywhere for us to store it, and so... 
Um, I, I left it in Santa Barbara with a friend, and he finally called me like a year later. He's like, can we get rid of this tent trailer? So, so I gave the trailer to my brother-in-law, and he towed it all the way out to like Central Valley, and I'm like, yes, somebody's going to use it. And he gets it home, and he puts it in his driveway, and he's cranking the thing open, and I, I think I forgot to tell him about that third side that doesn't open. And the chain, the whole pulley system just broke and snapped. And once that thing goes, the whole, it's like total. The whole thing's gone. And so then it really became a Craigslist free item, right? <laughs> but I knew always as we used that tent that it wasn't going to last forever. As time continued on, as one thing after another would break down, it came to a point where the tent wasn't livable anymore. And that is what our bodies are like. Over time, our bodies break down. Anybody can say amen? amen? All right. And you might be able to make a little repair here or a little repair there. You can kind of put a dowel to hold a few things up. And look, you've had some good experiences in this tent that you dwell in. You've had a lot of fun trips. You've had a lot of fun memories. There's a lot that has happened in that tent but there's this understanding that this tent is not permanent, that there's going to come a point when it will not function anymore and you need to part with it. Do you know that to be true about your earthly body? That it's not permanent, that one day your body will fail and it will no longer be a livable space for your soul. If you're getting older, You've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You might be more aware of this than others. But we all need to be aware that our final dwelling place is not this tent. Our final dwelling place is this building that God has provided. This place that, as Jesus said, I have gone to heaven to prepare a place for you. There's a resurrection coming. There is a better body that is suitable for eternity, and we're going to put that on. And the apostle Paul wanted, or Peter wanted to make sure that we knew this fact. He wanted to be sure that, that we were reminded always of this truth. Peter had no problem sounding like a broken record. He wanted to make sure that we were very clear about what comes after death. He wanted to know that after we die... If we have put faith in Jesus Christ, we will go to be in heaven with God where he is, and we will be glorified like he was when he was raised. He wanted us to remember and to stand upon that. He wouldn't want anyone to be found in that position that the disciples were found in, in John chapter 14, when Jesus was telling them that he was going to die. You remember how Jesus was saying to the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he said to them, you know the way and you know where I am going. But the disciples said, but Jesus, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. We can't know the way. And the Lord was like, oy vey. Well, maybe he didn't say oy vey, right? <laughs> But he did say, I've told you the way, but let me remind you. And that is when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And no one comes to the Father except through me. Peter knew that the way was Jesus. And he wants to remind us always that the way to heaven is through Jesus. It is only through Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is only through faith in who he is and what he has done. And so Peter is going to now spend the rest of this chapter reminding us of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, he was an eyewitness of the real Jesus. He had come to faith in who Jesus is, that he is fully God and fully man, that he is the God who came from heaven to earth, incarnate, took on flesh, and was the Messiah of God. And so as we look into this next verse... We're going to be reminded of the good news of Jesus. And I'm so thankful for the Apostle Peter and the rest of the apostles that they were fruitful and effective for Jesus. That they actually were faithful to preach the gospel always. Were beneficiaries of that because they were faithful to say, we're going to remind and remind and remind of the truth of Jesus. So in verse 16, look at your Bible, it says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what Peter does here is he reminds Christians that the testimony of Jesus is historical fact. It is not fiction. Peter and the apostles did not follow, as he says, cleverly devised myths. Peter and the other apostles followed a real person named Jesus, a man who was and is God, God in flesh, God incarnate, our God who left the glories of heaven and came to take on a tent of a body. And in that tent, he suffered and died in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. But that tent did not stay dead. That tent was raised up. And he is alive. And he appeared to all of his followers and to over 500 witnesses at one point even. And then he ascended back to heaven and he said he's coming again. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a cleverly devised myth. Since the time of Christ, nearly 2,000 years ago, people have been trying to discredit and disprove the life and the testimony of Jesus, but it can't be done. You can't look at all the historical evidence of Jesus and say, this is all just clever myths on the same level as a fictitious novel. These are real people. These are real events. And so if these are real people and real events that are testified to us in this book, then we have to take a real and honest look at who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And he really did die. History proves it. Not just the Bible, even secular history proves that Jesus was a man who was crucified. He really did rise from the dead. History can't deny it. You can't get that many people to agree on one thing. Besides, Peter, you know how it said 
that Jesus told him the way that he was going to die, how his hands would be stretched out. You know, church tradition that's very reliable tells us that Peter was crucified, just like his Savior was, but that he couldn't bear to think being crucified in the same way that his Lord had, so he asked that they would crucify him upside down. And all of the apostles of Jesus all died deaths of martyrdom except for the apostle John. But he was boiled in a vat of oil, and so he suffered a lot too. How did that many people die for a cleverly devised myth? You don't die for a lie. You don't die for a myth. These are real things with real people with real events. So much could be said about all of this, but you have to understand that if this was just a cleverly devised myth, Christianity would not have been able to stand the test of time that it has. There couldn't be any possibility that you would have this kind of consistent and convincing eyewitness testimony from the authors of Scripture. The fact that this book all checks out and it all lines up. And Peter was one of those eyewitnesses. Peter knew the power and the coming of our Lord. Peter was an eyewitness of his majesty. Now I want to focus in on this word majesty because I love that that is the way that Peter is describing Jesus in his life and in his ministry. It was majestic. There was majesty in Jesus. And in one sense, Jesus was just an ordinary man. Isaiah the prophet even said, there is no form nor comeliness about him that anyone should desire him. Meaning that Jesus was not some strikingly good-looking fellow who, you know, turned a lot of heads and drew a lot of attention because he was, you know, some spectacular person. He was, that happened, but it wasn't because of his human appearances. There was nothing notable about Jesus, that is, until he began his ministry. Prior to that, in like the first 30 years of his life, he was the son of a carpenter from a really lame town called Nazareth. So that even one of his disciples said, can anything good come from Nazareth? But something good did come from Nazareth. Jesus came as the promised Messiah who had been born of a virgin, and after approximately 30 years, he began his public ministry to show that he is the Son of God. And it began when he went to the Jordan River to see his cousin John, and he was baptized. And the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, and the heavens were opened, and the Father spoke audibly from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And it was majestic. His majesty was shown in his first miracle when he turned water into wine. His majesty showed as he taught the scriptures with authority. His majesty showed when he forgave sinners and healed the sick and cast out demons. His majesty showed when with his voice he made the winds and the waves obey. His majesty showed when he was transfigured before his disciples, and God again spoke audibly from heaven and spoke about the identity of his son, Jesus. And in a very peculiar way, the majesty of Jesus showed when he hung upon a cross and he atoned for your sins and for my sins. 
and most notably the majesty of Jesus showed when he conquered sin, death, and the devil, when he triumphed over them in victory through his resurrection. And Peter was an eyewitness of all of these majestic things. He saw them with his two eyes, how majestic Jesus really was. And again, these stories aren't make-believe. They really did happen, and because they really did happen, we need to reckon with who Jesus really is. Is he your God? Is he your Savior, or is he not? Peter specifically recounts in verses 17 through 18 the transfiguration of Jesus, this point that highlights his majesty. Let's read verse 17 through 18. It says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And so Peter is giving testimony to what happened one day when he was with Jesus. Jesus had taken three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and took them up upon a mountain. And while they were on that mountain, Jesus began to radiate with light. One of the Gospels describes how it was such a bright white light that it was even hard to look at. And the white that was described was that it was so bright that no one could even use enough bleach to make a piece of clothing so white. Jesus was shining. And it was shining from within him. Jesus was standing there as well. And there were two people that were beside him as he was shining. And the two people that Jesus was with that he was talking to were Moses and Elijah. And, and these were two great leaders of the people of Israel. Moses was there maybe as a representative of the law. And Elijah was there maybe as a representative of the prophets. You know, Moses... And, and Elijah are sort of like the goats, right? The greatest of all time for Israel. And, and they're there, the three of them standing there. And, and we assume that they were probably discussing Jesus' death and how this would bring about a new covenant, a new way for God to redeem his people. And what ends up happening there as this is going on, the three there Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and Peter, James, and John are watching this, and they're like, are you kidding me? Like, I've had baseball cards of Moses and Elijah, right? Like, these are, my, these are our biggest fans, right? And, and these are the greatest, are you kidding me? And so, so what do they do in their zeal? They try to make tents for Jesus. Like, I have a good idea, let's make some tents. We'll just camp out here on the mountain together. We'll roast some marshmallows. We'll talk all, of, all night long about, you know, how wonderful we're with Moses and Elijah. Are you kidding me? This is, this is nuts. This is awesome. And then God the Father spoke from heaven. And he said, in verse 17, Peter recounts one of the things that the Father said. He said again, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. But from another gospel account, what we find is that God said, this is my son. 
listen to him. And when God said that, Moses and Elijah dipped out of there. (laughs) They were gone. And all that was left there was Jesus. And all they were looking at was Jesus. And then they went off the mountain. And then in verse 18, Peter recounts that voice that he heard that day. He says, we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. Peter is saying, I'm telling you, I saw it and I heard it. I saw Jesus radiate with glory. I heard the audible voice of the majestic God. By the way, I love that name for the Father. The majestic glory. The glory and the voice from heaven. Peter, James, and John were eyewitnesses. It really happened. Now, you hear that story, and you're like, Sounds kind of interesting, right? Almost sounds like a cleverly devised myth. You're saying that these people who had previously lived came down on a mountain and Jesus was like radiating white and they're all there and they're talking about building tents and everything together. And and could that really happen? And how do we know Peter, James, and John didn't come up with some sort of conspiracy, some sort of story to, to say, we had this awesome experience with Jesus on the mountain. That's a reliable question to ask. But you have to understand the eyewitness testimony that this is, that there were multiple people who were witnesses of this event. Look, you believe the testimony of men all the time, don't you? Let's say that there was a a car accident in the middle of an intersection, and you found four people standing on each corner of the intersection and you ask them to write down and to describe what they saw happens when those cars crashed. And each person describes, and maybe they have a little nuanced variance to what they were saying because of maybe the angle for which they were looking at the event, right? They're all on four corners. It's the same accident that happened in the middle, but they're all looking at it at a little different angle. It's all talking about the same thing that happened. You match all those testimonies together and you say, yep, an accident happened at the intersection there. So why can't you believe the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which all give detail to the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to earth to do? And when you compare those testimonies, it all gives detail in a convincing testimony to what really happened. And the Apostle John talks about this in his epistle. He says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 9 through 13. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you know that you have eternal life. Isn't that powerful? Do you believe the testimony of God concerning his son, Jesus? Amen. I love it. 
Because if you do, then you have eternal life in the Son of God. Life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. John makes that very simple. Because remember, Jesus is, as he said, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the majestic glory except through him. And so, as Peter compiles more evidence for the testimony of Jesus, he says this, and this will be our final verse. Verse 19 to 21, he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention to as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, we believe in who Jesus is, and we believe in what Jesus came to do because we have the Bible. God's very living word that was breathed forth by the Holy Spirit. This book was not written by a bunch of people who came together and said, let's make up some clever myths, some fables, some stories. This book is compiled of so many authors, I forget exactly how many, over thousands of years, all consistent, all true, all testifying to one thing, and that is Jesus. From the beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all pointing to Jesus. And the Bible is true testimony. And the, the eyewitness accounts of what the apostles saw when Jesus came, we can believe because we believe the testimony of men all day long. And if we can believe the testimony about men, how can we not receive the testimony of God who is so much greater than man? And this is the testimony that God has borne concerning his son, that we can have eternal life in the son. And if you don't believe that you can have eternal life in the son, then you're calling God a liar. And what could be worse? And so God is true. Let every man be a liar. And let this book, which was not just written by the will of men, but was written by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it's God-breathed. And when you come to the word of God, like I did when I first believed it, something happened as I read this book. I didn't simply read it as historical fact, as the, although that is what it is. I read it as daily bread. I read it as life and sustenance. And what happened as I began to read this book is that life began to well up within me. As it says, the day began to dawn that the morning star rose up within my heart and I could see clearly. I could see who Jesus is. And I love that poetic language of the day dawning within your soul, of the morning star rising up within your heart that you can know that you know that you know that Jesus is real and that he loves you and that you could bring your real self to him and he will change you and he will transform you by his word as you grow in faith. And that one day you believe that when you die, you will go to be with Jesus in heaven. And so from the beginning to the end, it all testifies about Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law, which was proclaimed by Moses. He, pro he, he fulfilled the prophets, which was proclaimed by Elijah and the rest. All together, the Old Testament points to Jesus. 
Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. God, I pray that as we end in a time of worship and response, I pray for the day to dawn in hearts. I pray for the morning star to rise within us. And God, I pray for there to be a revelation of the true testimony of who you are, Jesus, that you are the only begotten Son of God who became a man, who died on a cross for our sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. We love you, Jesus, for your work in our lives, and we want to thank you that today we were reminded of the gospel. I pray it would all fall upon fresh hearts and fresh ears today to hear that testimony again. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the worship team's up here, I want to do one thing, and we can all stand together, and I think that this is going to give us a proper response to worship, worshiping God. You know, we sang earlier, you are the same God. And, and we have the entire Old Testament, a book that you would do well to pay attention to, because in it there are prophetic utterances of the coming of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus raised from the dead, he walked with a couple of his disciples on this road called Emmaus. And it says that he went through all the scriptures and pointed out how it all testified about him. So what I wanna just briefly do, I think it'll get us just stirred up by way of reminder, stirred up in worship as we hear how Jesus fulfills every single book in the Old Testament. Are you ready? In Genesis, he is the creator and promised redeemer. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the high priest. In Numbers, he is water in the desert. In Deuteronomy, he becomes the curse for us all. In Joshua, he is the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he is the deliverer of injustices. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he is in one man, both prophet, priest, and king. In 2 Samuel, he is the king of grace and love. In 1 King, he is the ruler that is wiser and greater than Solomon. In 2 Kings, he is the powerful prophet. In 1 Chronicles, he is the son of David that is coming to rule. In, in 2 Chronicles, he is the king who reigns eternally. In Ezra, he is the priest who proclaims freedom from captivity. In Nehemiah, he is the one who restores what has been broken down. In Esther, he is the protector of his people. In Job, he is the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, he is our song in the morning and in the night. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is our meaning for life. In Song of Solomon, he is the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, the weeping Messiah. In Lamentations, he assumes God's wrath for us. In Ezekiel, he is the son of man. In da Daniel, he is the man in the fire with us. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband even when we run away. In Joel, he is sending his spirit to his people. In Amos, he is justice to the oppressed. In Obadiah, he is the judge to those who do evil. In Jonah, he is the resurrected evangelist. In Micah, he casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. In Nahum, he proclaims future world peace that we can't even begin to imagine. In Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, he is the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he restores our worship. In Zechariah, he is the Messiah pierced for us. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness 
who brings healing. He's Jesus. Amen. He is the God of the universe, proclaimed in the scriptures, and we would do well to pay attention and to be stirred up at the name of Jesus. Amen? Let's worship him.